Good morning, City Light. Yes, you guys excited to be here this morning? Yes. A little sleepy crowd this morning. Um, of coffee in the back. But uh, yeah, my name is Tyler, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the amazing privilege this morning to preach one of the most amazing stories in all of the Bible, Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. It's this amazing, amazing story of this father who had an incredible love for his two sons. And I'm a father who has two sons, and I love my sons so dearly. I have Zane who's four, and Zeke who's a year and a half. But if I could just admit this morning, one of my greatest fears is that one day that this would happen, that, that one of my sons would leave the God that created them, that loves them unconditionally, and that died for them. That's a fear. And I realize that for many in this room this morning, that that's not just a fear, but that is a current reality. That is your son or daughter right now. And before we get to the hope and the good news, I just want to take a second to, to acknowledge the reality in the room, is that many of us have this story and this reality playing out in our family right now. And I want to share a quick letter from a real mom to a real son who is in anguish for her lost son to return home to God. I got this uh, letter from the book Praying for Your Prodigal by Pastor Kyle Eidelman. And it, it reads as follows. The mom says, My sweet son, I remember the Sunday morning when God brought you into my life, and the doctor exclaimed, It's a boy. My heart was forever changed, and I felt more blessed than ever I'd ever imagined. You loved life, school, people, and you loved serving the Lord. I loved watching you participate in vacation Bible school, play the drums at church, and enjoy youth group activities. You were such a leader in high school. You showed love and compassion for those treated unjustly or who were down on their luck. I was so proud of you and you received a scholarship to a faith-based college and you chose to do a work-study program with a campus ministry. I was naive to think that you were safe from being tainted by college. Somewhere in the classroom and dorms, halfway through your education, you gradually abandoned your love for Christ and you moved toward a love of the world. I've lost track of the nights I've worried and prayed over why you haven't returned my calls and my texts and why you've pulled away from our family. You've made dangerous choices and you told me that you don't want and you don't need my prayers anymore. Well, sorry, son, I will never stop praying for you. I will always continue to love you more than you ever imagined. The thought of not reuniting with you in heaven someday is more than I can bear. Can any of you relate to this mom? I think that this story is not an outlier at our church. Having been here for over a year now, I've talked to many of you in this room, and that this is your story. And even if you don't have a, a son or daughter that's running from God, maybe your parent, one of your parents is running from God. Maybe you have grandchildren that are running from God. Maybe you have a spouse right now that is running from God. Or you have one of your closest friends or acquaintances that you you see what they're writing on Facebook, you see what's going on, you see the pictures, and you get sad, and you're in anguish over the choices that they're making. You've sent them the Bible, you've sent them the devotional, you've emailed them countless times to come to church with you, and you get no response. Nothing. And you've prayed so many prayers for them, and nothing has happened, and you feel stuck, and you do not know what to do. 
And that is exactly how the father in this story felt over his lost son. This is a guy who waited and waited, not for days, but for years, for his lost, disobedient, wayward son to come home. And so this morning, from this amazing story, this is going to be my outline. I think that we see the three stages of being lost as we look at the story, and we see the three stages of being found. So let's kick this off and start at the beginning. Verse 11 and 12. The verses should be up on the screen. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So this story wastes no time getting straight to the point. There's a father who has an older son and a younger son. And the younger son comes up to the father one day and says, Dad, I can't wait around until you die. I want you to give me my inheritance right now so that I can take off and spend it however I want to. And I don't know about you, but if Zane or Zeke one day said that to my face, they came up to me when they were a little older and said, Dad, I just can't wait around for you to, to, to go, to pass away, to receive my inheritance. I want you to liquidate the assets, to liquidate the retirement, to sell this home, because I want my money now. I want to get out of here, and I want to spend it however I want to spend it. I mean, wouldn't that be so heartbreaking? That would be so painful to see the little child, the little baby whose diapers you changed, right? The, the, the same son or daughter that you took to the playground, to the zoo, that you cared for, that you provided a home for, protection for, all of a sudden, one day, turn their back on you, turn their back on everything you ever did for them, and said, I'm out of here. That's exactly what this younger son did. He was at a place of an intense, radical discontentment. And I would say that that's actually the first stage of being lost, is experiencing discontentment. But guess what happens in the story? It's amazing. This father doesn't actually refuse his request. I mean, if Zeke or Zane said that to me, I would say, hey, no way. But this father actually gets the money and gives it to him. He doesn't refuse his request. And so already in the story, we're starting to see that this father is unusual. That this father is not your typical dad. That this father is in a category that few of us in this room would be in. Let's continue on in verse 13. We read what happens next. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And this leads us to the second stage of being lost. Going to a distant land. Going to a distant land. This son was content, right? He was not happy where he was. He was not happy with his father. And so he just up and left. He got the heck out of town. It says that he went to a far country. And this was not just a temporary vacation. This was nothing less than a spiritual journey to go after happiness and fulfillment because he was not happy and fulfilled where he was. And so in his mind, getting as far away from the family, leaving the teaching about God that he had inherited from his parents, he wanted to get away from it all to find happiness. And this distant land in the story happens to be an actual physical place. And so for some of us in the room, the distant land for us that we go to to find happiness is actually a distant land. It's a place. It's a city. 
It's a house. It's, it's somewhere. It's, that's a physical place. But spiritually, I think it's also symbolic that this distant land can mean something, something else. It can take other shapes and forms. The distant land can take the form of a new boyfriend or going after a new girlfriend. A distant land can, can take the form of a new addiction in your life. Uh, this distant land can take the form of a new career. This distant land can take the form of divorcing your spouse and your kids and going after that new romantic interest. Sometimes it takes the form of just going to college and getting out from under your parents' control and authority, like the lost son. And this distant land takes all kinds of forms, but the common denominator is this, is that we pursue it because it promises us a better life. We buy into the lies, and we set off from home to go chase that which we think will fulfill us. And the next logical step when we get there is to squander what we have. Look at verse 13. The second half of verse 13 says, There he squandered his property in reckless living. He gave all that he had away. And that leads us to the last stage of being lost. You spend yourself. He was spending himself. He gave all of his time, all of his money, all of his resources. He put all of the chips into this distant land, thinking that that would fulfill him. He squandered his entire inheritance, we find out later, on prostitutes and wild and reckless living. He got to that distant land, spent a little bit, thinking that that was going to change things. Nothing happened. So he spent a little bit more of his money, a few more prostitutes. Nothing happened. He was still depressed. So he spent even more money, and he conti- the cycle continued until he didn't have one dollar left to his name. And that forced him to have to be enslaved, to work and be a servant of someone else. See, following his passions, his dreams, buying into those lies led him to being a slave. It did not lead to satisfaction and fulfillment, which he thought it would. And eventually he ran out and he burned out. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. Man, you can't get any lower than that, can you? He was literally in the pigsty, looking at the pigs, jealous. Jealous of what the pigs were eating. You can't get any lower than that. Just think about that. He set off to find happiness. He bought into the lies, and this is the result of his choices. This is, the, this is the result of his rebellion. And after he had spent everything and he was in the pigsty, things actually got a little worse. It says a severe famine arose in the land. And while this was really bad news to him to experience this famine, I would say it's actually the, it was the turning point in his life. That the first step or the first stage of being found was for him to experience a famine. Right? We read in verse 14 that because of this famine that he experienced, that for the first time in his life, he began to be in need. In need. You see, when you get to the place in life where you realize you have nothing left to your name, that is the first time you're able to see life the clearest, isn't it? 
That's the first time you're able to see things for how they really are. And we see this story being played out over and over again here at City Light. We've had over 170 people baptized here over the past two years, which has been incredible. But the story has been the same over and over again. We hear, I stopped running from God when I hit rock bottom, when the affair was discovered, when my spouse filed for divorce, when that secret of mine finally came out. I I stopped running from God when I had that overdose, when that unexpected pregnancy happened, when I flunked out of school, or when my family just finally fell apart. That's when I realized for the first time in my life that I was in need of God. And when you go through a spiritual famine, you finally have the opportunity to have that aha moment, right, that is given by the Holy Spirit, which is the second stage of being found that I would say, is having an aha moment. We see in verse 17 the the younger son having this aha moment where the light bulbs come on. We read in the text that it says, when he came to himself, which literally means that the light bulbs turned down, that he sobered up and was able to see things for how they really were. And for the first time, he saw the vivid contrast between the two lives. The life that he had with the father his loving father in his home, and he saw that contrasted with the life that he had now, sitting next to the pigs. And the light bulb just turned on in that moment, and he saw the incredible blessing that he had had with his father. And so I just want to say, City Light Church, the, oftentimes the most gracious thing that God can do for us is to allow us to experience a spiritual famine in our lives. For him to pull back, to have us experience life without him and without his blessing so that we would have this spirit-given aha moment and see the lives contrasted with each other. When we're finally in the perfect position to see our life clearly and to see ourselves clearly for the first time. Listen in verse 18 and 19. The son says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You see what happened here? For the first time in his life, he said, I had sinned against God, against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I am absolutely not worthy anymore. I am an unworthy man. And this spiritual famine had, had led him to see his need and to see his situation clearly, see his life clearly, and see himself clearly. You know that someone who is spiritually lost is on the verge of being found when they come to a place where they finally realize they're a sinner and they're unworthy. And we're going to sing Amazing Grace here in a little bit, and one of the words in the song that typically makes people shudder is the word wretch. Right? The song goes, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I want you to see that until you see your old self and your old actions as despicable, like the son in the story, that your rebellious living and your lack of thankfulness has done nothing but caused heartache to the people around you and has not glorified God, but rather the opposite, only then will you be able to see the gospel as sweet and amazing. Only then will you be able to experience what amazing grace really is. 
And experiencing amazing grace is always preceded by just a keen understanding of how unworthy you actually are to be embraced by a God who has done nothing for you your whole life except love you unconditionally and give you numerous opportunities to, to be blessed. And so this aha moment led the son to take the third and the final stage of being found, which is this. He decided to go home. He could have stayed there next to the pigs. He could have, I'm sure he was fearful to go back and and just face the wrath of his father, right? So he could have held on to his pride and stayed there, but he didn't. He said, no, the life I had with my father was better. I'm going to go home. He decided to go home. And let's see what, see what happened next in the story. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And, and Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and then bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us celebrate. For the son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So this son, head down, shoulders shrunk, in shame, thinking about all the things he had done, the prostitutes he had spent money on, just walked shamefully, towards his old house, towards his own home. And he glanced up just quick enough to see the father shamelessly running towards him, embraces him, hugs him, kisses him, right? He's just showing this radical love to him. And he said, you know what? Get the best robe in the home. Bring it. Put it over his filthy rags and and get shoes and, and put them over his blistered feet. And get the family ring and and put it on his finger. And kill the fattened calf because we're going to have a party tonight because this son was lost and now is found. He's not coming back a little bit better as Andrew said, but he he was dead, but now he is alive. This is time to celebrate. And if you remember from the story, he was planning on coming down and kneeling before the father and saying, I will be your servant. So he had devised a plan to come back and to get into the Father's good graces. He said, I'm going to serve my Father and work my way and earn my way back into the family. But the Father says, absolutely not. I will not accept you as my servant. I'm going to give you my ring and accept you back as my son. Isn't that amazing? He said, you will not be my servant. You are my son. And he threw the biggest party he could possibly throw. He killed the fattened calf. And and that day they did not have deep freezers like we have today, right? There's no place to put that extra meat, which means that he was planning on throwing a whole party for the whole town. He went out near and far to grab his friends, his extended family, people in the town to come and to celebrate and to sing and to dance. This was a radical homecoming for his son. And I imagine that the younger son felt a lot like this Colorado State student who also had a similar homecoming. This letter is taken from, also taken from the book Praying for Your Prodigal. This is what the son said. Eight years ago, I left home and went away to Colorado State University. I joined a fraternity, and I was majoring in partying. And for the first three semesters, I never stopped and thought about what I was doing. I never prayed. 
I was living in the distant country. Then the reality came crashing in on me. I could no longer deny what was happening. I'd flunked out of four of my five classes, and it was a wake-up call. I knew I needed to make changes. But what I really needed was to make a change in my relationship with God, if he would still have me. I needed to call my parents to explain that I had just failed. And there was no good place to have privacy in my frat house, so I took the phone into the bathroom. I remember there was a stack of pornography, and I didn't want to look in that direction, so I just sat on top of it. I called and explained to my parents that I had just blown it in many areas of my life, not just in my grades, but in my relationship with Christ. I had strayed from him. My parents listened to what I had to say, and they said these three powerful words. They didn't say, turn things around. They didn't say, make things right. They didn't say, get some help. And they didn't say, just figure it out. No, what they said to me was better than that. What they said to me was this. Just come home. Just come home, son. No matter where you're at this morning, whether you're in that distant land right now, squandering your, your energy, your time, your resources on that which you think will fulfill you, and whether, or whether you're convicted of your sin, you realize you, you screwed up, you already had that addiction, you've hit rock bottom, and you're trying to find your way back to God, and you've been coming to church, and you don't know what to do, this story makes it very, very clear. The Father says to you this morning, just come home. Just come home. That's this offer on the table for you this morning. Just like the, like the younger brother We too have this temptation when we blow it to sort of want to work our way back into God's good grace, right? We want to serve the Lord. We want to create this bullet point list of things that we want to do to sort of prove ourselves to God again. And my fear is that we would leave this room this morning with a list of bullet points on on ways we're going to get back, our lives back on track with God. But he this morning says to you what he said to the younger son, and that is, you are not my servant. You are my son. How could that be? Because Jesus Christ came to die for you while you were in sin. While you were in sin, in that distant land, while you were going through that addiction, while you were cheating on your spouse, Jesus came to die for you in that moment. And in the story, we see the father making lots of sacrifices to allow his son to come into his arms. He had absorbed the cost of the inheritance that the son had already squandered away. He sacrificed an animal, right, to to throw a party. He said, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to celebrate you coming home. I want to tell you that your heavenly father, it costs a lot more to bring you home. That it cost him his very own son on the cross to forgive your sin so that your sin could be forgotten from that distant land to accept you into his loving arms. There's nothing left for you to do. Grace is amazing because it's free. It's free for you, but it's costly for God. There's absolutely nothing you have to do to come into his loving arms this morning if you've embraced Jesus for forgiveness. And like the frat guy in the story, I too have a similar story. I went to college and ran from God for two years. And after experiencing a famine my sophomore year of college, I felt disappointed and unfulfilled. And that's when somebody 
told me, they came to me when I was in the pigsty and said, there is good news. There is good news that everything you've done in this distant land called the college lifestyle can be forgiven and forgotten. And God wants to come around you, right, with your filthy rags, cover you with Jesus' robe of righteousness so that you can stand perfect and complete. And God wants to give you this ring of adoption so that he can call you his son. And it's been an amazing 12 years as a Christian, as God's son, and the offer is on the table for you as well. He says, you will not be my servant. You will be my son or my daughter. Come home. And as a father myself, many times I've told my son Zane at night, after a rough day of just him disobeying and being rebellious, I want to make it very, very explicit to him. I say, Zane, buddy, no matter if you're bad or you're good, I'll always love you. No matter if you have a bad day or a good day, or no matter what you do in the future, if you decide one day to get up and run and leave me, I will stand, Zane, right here at your window, and I will look out the window and wait for you to come home. Because I want you to know my love for you will never change, no matter how much you blow it. And that is God's heart towards you and towards me. And listen, even if you can't relate, even if you didn't have an earthly father or an earthly mother um, who loved you like that, rather they were disappointed with you all the time when you blew it, who never ran towards you with open arms of grace, I'm here to say, look at the story. Look at the Bible. This is God's word. This is God's truth to us, that we do have a Heavenly Father who is opening up His arms and will tell you, no matter how many times you've blown it, you can run into my arms and experience my loving grace. Well, that's the good news, but I want to close today by turning our attention to a shocking end to the story. I suspect that what we read next, that you will never forget, because I've never forgotten it. It's a shocking, unexpected turn in the story. Look with me at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came near and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The shocking end of the story is that the, at the end of the story, who's outside the home? It's not the younger son, it's the older son. This older son was furious. He was angry. He asked the servants what these things meant because what was unfolding for him, this party, was just foreign to him. He had no concept of grace. He was so angry that he even refused to go into the home to be with the father and his younger son. Why? Because he was good. He was moral. He had done nothing wrong his whole life, right? And yet his son was, ex ex was getting what he didn't deserve. And that ticked him off. And in this moment, we see 
why the older son had been with the father all these years. The reason why the, son, the older son had stuck with the father all these years is because he wanted the father's stuff. He didn't want the father. He said, I've done this. I've slaved away for you. I've done my duty. And yet you never gave me X, Y, or Z. He was revealing in that moment that he had, the only reason he had obeyed the father was not because he loved the father, but because he wanted the father's stuff. And so while the story is called the parable of the prodigal son, it should be called the parable of the prodigal sons. Because we read that both sons were lost. There's not just one way to run from God, but there's actually two ways to run from God. Well, the first way is irreligion, like the younger son, but we see that the second way to run from God is religion, from the older son. You can run from God by breaking the rules, and you can run from God by following the rules. You can run from God by being very, very bad, and you can run from God by being very, very good. You can run from God by pursuing something else in your life as God, but you can also run from God by pursuing the blessings and gifts of God rather than God himself. You see, irreligious people run to sex, money, drugs, right? Worldly success to get what they want. But religious people run to abstinence, run to purity, run to building a spiritual resume as a way to demand something from God, like the elder brother. And so you see, you can use religion to claim Jesus as your Savior, but really deep down what you're using religion for is to get God to serve you. And at the end of the story, we see that the older brother was the one who was actually more distant from the father. That the older brother was more alienated in his heart from the father. And that's why Pastor Tim Keller, uh, author of The Prodigal God, which is this amazing book and commentary on the story, begs us to listen to this advice, and it's up on the screen. To find God, we must repent of the things we have done wrong. But if that is all you do, you may remain just an elder brother. To truly become a Christian, we must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. It was the older brother's pride in his good deeds, rather than repentance over his bad deeds, that kept the older son out of the feast of salvation. Isn't that amazing? Keller is saying that we must repent of the things we've done wrong, yes, but also repent of the reasons we did anything right if it causes pride in our heart, if it causes distant, distance from us and the Father, if we do all the right things for the wrong reasons, namely to benefit ourselves. But here's the good news. The good news is that God loves religious people too. He does. God loves religious people too. At the end of the story, we see a loving Father who has extended all this grace to his younger son who has blown it with prostitutes and reckless living. We see that amazing extension of grace. But at the end of the story, we also see the father open the door, right? He didn't look at the older, elder brother outside and slam the door and say, fine, if you don't want to come to this party, fine. But we see him opening the door and entreating, begging his older, religious, good, moral, prideful, older son to come in and experience the party of grace. To, to, to come in and, and be a part of this feast of salvation and celebration. To come in and join the party. God does not only love younger brothers who blow it, but he also loves and has grace for religious people who are too prideful to want the Father. So my prayer this morning is that the Spirit of God would 
fill this room this morning as we continue singing, and that Christians that have been Christians for a long time, whether it's a year, five years, ten years, would begin to, to repent and turn around from the inner pride that has been built up over the years over not our badness, but our goodness. And that God would replace it with a deep humility and a deep grace from the Father to be able to extend it to each other in this room and extend it to the city of Omaha, right? That God would make us the kind of people who pray not primarily to get something from God, but just to get more of God. The kind of people who don't amplify the sin of others or amplify our own moral record when the other people around us and the other people in our city group blows it. That we be the kind of people who don't respond in anger towards our spouse and our kids when they fail us, but rather that we would kneel down and open up our arms and extend grace to our spouse and kids. That we be the kind of people who don't obey and serve God out of duty because we have to, but just out of sheer delight because he's loved us. That we be the kind of people who don't shake our fingers at people, but rather throw parties for people when the lost come home, when the dead come alive right? Doesn't throwing parties sound way better than grumbling and shaking our fingers at people? It sounds way better than that. So City Light, may we be a church where the lost are found here and where the found continually throw parties for the lost. Holy Spirit, do that in our church. And so let me close with this. Let me ask you this question. Is there, as you look at this story and read this with me, is there anything better than the Father's love? Is there anything better than experiencing what the younger son in the story experienced. I would say there's nothing. And so if you're convinced of that this morning, if you're convinced that nothing, there's nothing in the world that's better, then I want to ask you to listen to the invitation of the Father and to come home. Whether you've been sitting in your seat for years, right, for the wrong reasons, I want to invite you to come in, like the father in the story, to come in and experience an actual relationship based on grace and to leave religion behind. And if you're in a distant land now and you're squandering your resources and you're giving your time and energy to that which is not fulfilling you, or if you're feeling guilty and, and beat up and broken and you're on your way back feeling shameful, the invitation is the same. Whether you're a younger brother or elder brother, the invitation is to just come home. Let me pray. Father, we worship you as the God of love and compassion. Would you be lifted up in our hearts this morning and exalted as the one in whom there is unlimited forgiveness and second chances? God, would we be a church that is known for throwing parties like you when the lost come home? This morning, would you call those of us elder brothers to leave behind empty, joyless, duty-filled religion to embrace you as our Father, and to begin a real relationship with you. God, help us to turn from our anger, turn from our pride, to be forgiving, patient people in this church who show abundant grace and mercy in this city of Omaha for your glory and our good. Amen. Invited some people to to pray in the back, so if you're part of the prayer team, I want you to head back there. And so we just want this to be a time to serve you and to serve one another. And so if you have a son, you have a daughter, you have a grandchild, if you have people in your life that you are burdened for, I would invite you to go to the back so that we can pray for you. That we can give hope, right? Because that's all we can do. The elder 
or the, the father in the story, all he could do every day for years was look out the window, pray, and wait, and, and wait for God to show up. And he didn't know it at the time, but his prayers were being answered. God was with the younger son, watching him squander his possessions away. God allowed the famine to happen to turn the, the younger son around. And so I want to let you know that there's hope in this story, that the younger son did come home. And so I want to ask you guys to go back and get prayer so that we can be in prayer for you. And, and, and conversely, if you feel like there's a se- sense of religiousness in your heart, a sense of pride towards other people, and you've been having a hard time of experiencing God's love and showing God's love and grace to other people, would you come back so that we can pray for you as well? Please, please go back. Like, don't, don't sit in your seat waiting for something to happen. Just come. This family wants to pray for you. We want to pray for you.